Hey, it's Seeking Plum. So it's been a while, uh, and in fact, it's been a few weeks since we talked about kindness and politeness. But I've had a few new calls come in from a new, uh, a new anchorite, if you will, infamous hottie, and her station Get Lit, and and she had some thoughts which got me thinking. So without further ado, oh, but I must warn you. Since it has been a while, apparently I have more words in me than I thought, so <laughs> I go on a bit. <laughs> but uh, I hope you enjoy, and if you have thoughts, please, please, uh, join in the fun. Yes, I really enjoy um, your show. So far, I've only been able to listen to um, one and a half, or going on a half now. <laughs> Love the one about your uh, grandparents. That was very sweet. Uh, regarding the polite versus kindness thing, which I think that's really what it is coming down to, um, something that you're really taught really in both situations, but it, more often than not, I think it comes from um, your own personal character and possibly your own original nature, much more so than um, anything else. But also, of course, when it comes to acts of kindness, it's usually... That it has to have an element of a need, perceived need, and also the situation or um, the sometimes environment at hand comes into play. Um, I have to agree with Robin Mead on the situation with the door opening. Um, unless someone has their hands full and truly needs someone to help them by opening the door for them, um, Really, that seems like someone who has an entitled mindset to me. Um, it still is, yes, an act of politeness. And again, that has to do with character and or training. Not everybody these days is trained to be polite, even in public. Uh, most seem not to be, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, and some people are okay with that. And some people are not. And some people want to change that, and some people do not. Um, I would be more concerned about um, helping people be more kind than polite, but politeness is appreciated. Peace out. <laughs> what it seems it's coming really down to is not just so much about the motivation, but the person and their perception of their own motivation. So if someone technically is a sociopath, and unfortunately it seems like our society, especially here in America lately, seems very pro-sociopathic um, mindset, then unless they feel like there's something in it for them, they're very not, they're very unlikely to do an act of kindness be it in public or in private, but especially not in private. Um, and the same goes for just a simple act of politeness, for that matter. If if they feel that they are going to gain something, then maybe they might act polite in public. That's really what it really comes down to. Thanks for calling and a warm welcome to Anchor Infamous Hottie. You made some great points, and, and it were things I hadn't even thought about. Like, the idea that kindness is usually born from a perceived need. And I, I don't think I had actually 
put that into thought or come to that conclusion at any point. And that is so well said. And at first I was like, is that really the case? But if I reflect on everything that I might do out in public with people or or what have you, it, it has, it has always been born of a perceived need. You know, if someone needs the door or I perceive them to need the door opened or they need something handed to them or help lifting something or a seat on the bus or, you know, those things are all born out of a perception of, of need, which made me start thinking about politeness then and what is that really? And I think it's more of, of exactly what you said, things we've been taught and like you stand in line, you wait your turn, you say please, you say thank you. And these are all things that are we learn, but they're also a part of how we interact with society. But but it's not a matter of kindness, it's a matter of of procedure almost. Or maybe more accurately, etiquette. And I am with you completely, I agree. I would rather myself to be kind than polite, and I would rather others do the same with me. I think there's almost this perception that, or at least I have this perception, that sometimes politeness can be disingenuous, and and that's not pleasant, (laughs) to put it, you know, very simplistically. So something else you said that got me thinking was this idea of a sociopathic mentality and how we don't have the same, we don't have, I don't know if it's the same, but we are struggling with empathy for other people. So for ease of conversation, I'm going to stick with the idea of sociopathic mentality because that's the word you used. But um, I don't know that personally I would go so far as to use that word. But I started wondering, like, is it possible that we can form a population of essentially sociopathic thinkers who are numb to empathy? And and if that's true, then how are we going about it? And how can we then slow it, stop it, reverse it, if that's even possible? I don't have a lot of theories on this yet, and I'm sort of just dipping my toe into some of these ideas because I've been <laughs> have been struggling with this defeatist uh, perspective on the world lately, and I think that that's born out of this constant influx of negative information right? And there's not enough of the positive side of things. Because even when we talk about progress, there's usually this negative uh, flip side to it. Instead of focusing on the good of where we're at, the good of what we've accomplished, the good of what we can accomplish. And I've been drowning in the negativity. And I think that to, to some extent, that comes from the, the the news that's all about the flesh in the pan, whatever's fast, hard-hitting, exciting, you know, dramatic in that moment. And the same goes for like social media as well, right? Anything that is, as I heard someone say it the other day, anything that bleeds and moves fast catches our attention. But the things that are more positive, more 
like they're talking about progress and moving forward, those are things that that aren't as interesting. They're not as flashy, you know? And so I wonder if if either the media we take in or who knows whatever else, but the the constant influx that we take in through our our devices is reshaping the way that we think, the way that we see each other, and even our ability to uh, experience and express empathy. I wonder if we almost need classes to be taught on empathy now. I think I talked about this in another episode. I can't remember exactly when, but the idea that because we are interacting so much with people through our devices and not in person, that if the classes don't exist yet, they probably will soon, where we need to learn how to read uh, body language, read uh, you know gestures or understand tone and inflection because we're missing out on some of that. I was just speaking to someone today and they were listening to an episode I did back in May, I think, about the revolving door. And they described how they could hear the, the tension and the emotion in the beginning of that episode of my voice and how by the end of it, it was like they could hear that that weight had been lifted. You know, there was a completely a different feel. I didn't do that by design, but it's in expressing who we are and in interacting with each other in a different uh, medium, there's a, there's less distraction, right? I think that's the beauty of audio. I'm sort of getting sidetracked here, but I, I think I think we are training ourselves not to be empathetic, not to see each other because we're growing numb, you know, and and. So then I guess the question is, is how do we stop it? How do we slow it? Because technology isn't going anywhere, you know? It's still going to be a part of our lives. I think we have to take active steps, at least at this point, until, until this, these things have been thought about for a while longer and until they're addressed in a different way. And we have to actively endeavor to do better. Which I think all sort of brings us full circle back to the idea that we are polite or kind based on what we are taught and at the core uh, it's also our character, part of who we are, like at our core, even without being taught. And and I think some of that happens at home and some, some of that happens at large, you know whether that's in the different uh, places that we go and spend our time or in what we consume. But I think, uh, I, I've talked about this too before, I think that memories and the things that we experience shape who we are. And I don't think there's ever a point when that stops. So even if we haven't been taught at a young age, and even if it's not there at our core from the beginning, I think that these things can be learned, uh, particularly kindness. And politeness, well, I think there's a place and a time for politeness. But, but I agree, I would, rather, I would rather be kind to people and I would rather people be kind back than polite. 
Um, I believe that it was um, Dr. Susan Forward that did a book in which she um, shared something very similar to what you're speaking of. And I do believe she said that the motivation, um, the three motivators were fear, obligation, and guilt. And when um, you're in the situation of this, uh, that's presented in the book, um, th these are, um, as I recall, because it was many years ago, um, in regards to dealing with uh, abusive or abuser people that are abusive with you or in abusive relationships, that when the motivating underlying thing falls under one of those, fear, obligation, guilt, you need to be avoiding whatever it is, <laughs> basically. So I'm not familiar with Dr. Susan Forward's book, but I completely agree. Those things are often present in abusive relationships or scenarios. But I think, I think those uh, three things can also be present and used in other places that are not necessarily abusive, right? Because let's just look at school. When, when as children we go to school, there is a, a fear of not measuring up. There is an obligation to perform, right? And then there's sometimes guilt if we don't do our homework. So I think these tools can, I think they can be tools, and I think they can be used in different ways. It's just a matter of how they're used and who uses them, right? And I think that it's not all evil, all bad, I think it is very situational and it very much depends. Wouldn't you agree or, 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 or do you see something different? Seeking Plum, it's been a while since I called in, but this definitely caught my attention. So this response is going to be a little bit because it's so diverse in itself of the subject matter. So first I want to say that um, empathy, sympathy, kindness, and cruelty all share the same, the same root. It's, it's derived from the emotion or an emotional response from thought process. And uh, just like they say, hate is taught, kindness is taught, but empathy is something different. Empathy is... You have to be empathic, I believe. I don't think any of us are born with being empathetic. Now, in regards to politeness, I believe politeness is the vehicle to stay, let's just say, in your lane without worry of influence of cruelty, harshness, or being rude, for that matter and being kind without showing emotion politeness evolves around the the vehicle of delivering a message and kindness is something that comes from the heart or the emotion of passing of tranquil spirits as opposed to um, selfish spirits um, hopefully that's making sense Part three, behavior, beginning behavior is taught. 
uh, from when we're, we're babies, you know, I see the, the difference of how I'm raising my 10 month old, as opposed to I, when I was raising my 10 year old at the same age, different logic, different knowledge or improved knowledge. But, um, yeah, so I think that these behaviors and actions, politeness and kindness or an emotion are, are taught and also adapted for operation within the world, you know, and it just depends on where you're coming from. Now, in the Japanese culture, they learn in school how to behave before they even touch a regular subject, the first three years of their education. So I believe this art... Hey, Jason. So you mentioned empathy, kindness, politeness, and cruelty are things that we learn or are taught. And then you said that empathy is different, but that you feel that we have to be uh, empathic first. And my question is, don't you think that empathy can be both? Something that we are in part born with, so it's, a, it's innate, and then in addition, we can grow our understanding, grow those skills, and improve our empathy for others. At some point, I was reading about a study that was done with babies, and when they were under 12 months old, if, if another baby cried, then they were likely to cry as well, but they couldn't necessarily distinguish between their feelings and the other baby's feelings. So those emotions all got jumbled together. But when they got beyond 12 months, then their cognitive abilities began to become more complex. So they could grow in empathy and better understand that those are their feelings and these are mine. So when they see a parent who hurt themselves or a friend who is uh, in pain, they can understand that, that maybe they want to comfort them. Even, even if language isn't a part of their everyday life yet, like, I mean, I mean that they are not able to speak yet, they still have this ability to be, to understand, to be empathetic. So I feel like there's, there's a combination of the two, right? Some of it's innate and some of it's taught. And as far as the numbness as for, for uh, electronics and social media, we cannot blame social media because it does not, it's not a live being. It is, it basically is fed by people who have who choose no other way to communicate but to be in their safe zone without actually touching the human experience. So, um, yeah, it, that one's a toughie. But I stopped, I stopped being one of those people blaming social media because we are the people that make up social media and devices. It's our participation and our attention. So it is not my enemy. And I use it at my will and my choosing, not the other way around. And wrapping this up, the last part of what I want to say is these devices and these things that we use are designed for frequency. I can't say whether it be addiction 
but I believe there is some merit to that. Now, in regards to what you said about con- like uh, the news, if good news were to sell, then, then it would be more reported on. But I believe we're becoming so socially numb. Like with all these shootings across the nation at schools, I think they're by design. Because I turn the news off. I don't want to hear about kids getting shot anymore. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know, personally. Um, I don't want to know about murders of people who died or who's done what to someone else or what politician is pissing off what people, you know. I I just don't want to hear it anymore. I just, it has no attention to me, which is very dangerous, I think. So I'm with you and I'm not when it comes to social media. I think that there is such a thing as a flawed tool or a broken tool or even uh, a tool that was created with one intention or even a few intentions that morphed over time and is now being used for different purposes. And I think all of those things are affected by people, people who create them and, and design them, build them, And then all of us who use them, what we put into them, what we consume out of them, what we share, etc. A little over a year or so ago, I saw something on TV where designers of different apps were talking about the fact that they are specifically designed to be addictive. Now, that's understandable if your goal is to make money, which it is their goal to do that, but it's It's a flaw or a problem when we consider how this app, this platform, whichever one we're talking about, is going to affect the masses. Because a portion of the population can and will walk away, as you've mentioned, and I've done myself as well. But a portion of the population either can't or won't because they're hooked on it, because they enjoy it. You know, whatever the specific reason is. But essentially, both groups are being affected by these platforms. Those still using them, are it's changing uh, the way that they think and they perceive the world because of what they put in and what they take out. I mean, just think back to before we had Facebook and Twitter, to how things have progressed over time to where we are now. Just about every time you turned around, somebody has a phone up to film something or snap a picture or to, you know, uh, record something to share somewhere instead of being present and in the moment. Because it's all about the likes, the views, the stats and going viral or potentially becoming, you know, famous, even if it's just for that proverbial 15 minutes of fame. So yes, this is all people involved using these tools, but we are, it's like a cycle, right? We are putting into it and taking out of it and it's shaping how we see the world because those using it, it changes how they think and perceive and those not using it are also affected by those still using the platforms. My point is, Since we say that we can be taught kindness, cruelty, politeness, etc., and we know that our ecology helps to shape who we are, we are spending our lives immersed in these social platforms, whether we like it or not. 
and they are changing what it means to be kind or polite. I mean, the news now has to compete with these social platforms. It either has to be super punchy and quick, or it also has to be dramatic, interesting, you know, more of a show than it is passing information along. And I agree with you. It's what we put in is what we get out of it. And so the fact that we are watching the news and they're getting more viewers, if it is presented in this way, is only going to perpetuate the pattern. So what do we do? Do we just throw our hands up and say it is the cycle that we get ourselves into? And that's what happens with the news and social media because it's we get out of it what we put into it. I think if we go down that road, then the only answer is to say that we need just about everyone to make individual changes in their life so that we can affect the culture, society, you know, the future. But but that's not going to happen. So that's why I'm pointing a finger at social media platforms and the news because I feel like we could change the tools because we've seen now where they've taken us. We've seen how we have used them, morphed the use of them, and and the good and the bad that's come out of it. And and we can tweak things. I think we can also do that with our media. I mean, our, our news. Like We can change it. But if the almighty dollar is what's driving us forward, then there's no impetus to do so. Because... <laughs> Because in this scenario, money becomes the flashy, you know, viral thing. And empathy, the goal of empathy and humanity and respecting and seeing each other, acknowledging each other, that ain't so flashy, you know, that ain't sexy. Who, who wants to really pay attention to that? Because that also takes work, cognitive work and emotional work. And instead, we often hear things like, what's in it for me? So, yeah, like I, I, I think it's the tools, etc., that need addressing to affect massive change. Because I don't think that it's ever going to happen, that us as individuals en masse are going to make something happen differently. We, we, need, we need a reason to do so. We need a push right? Whether we want it or not, we need it. At least, at least that's my take on it.